Good morning, everyone, and welcome here on this sunny morning in October. Happy to see you all here. Let's stand and worship God together. And make 
that everyone is here this morning and uh, yeah so if you want to just open up your bulletins this morning we'll read the call to worship together <clears throat> let's read sing to the Lord praise his name each day proclaim the good news that he saved publish his glorious deeds among the nations 
Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. That's from Psalm 96. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word, for your, uh, uh, the gift of your word to us, Lord, that we can use that to, uh, as you, to hear you speak to us and to communicate with us and to learn from, Lord. So we just thank you for that. Thank you that we have a building here to gather together to fellowship and to worship and to, uh, to praise you, Lord. So we just thank you again for this morning. We look forward to the, uh, the message that you have laid on, on Ross Plews this morning to deliver to us. Uh, so again, we just want to hand this service over to you, Lord, to your great glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Chris, I think he's doing the scripture reading. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, the scripture reading is going to be from Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you would uh, just like to bow with me and let's pray as Ross comes forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Ross and Susan and how they can come and minister to us this morning. We thank you for their ministry that they give to the local churches, um, filling in the pulpit ministry. And we are thankful that they were able to do that so much for us this year and for the surrounding area. And we just ask that you continue to teach us as he teaches us through your word this morning. Amen. Ross, thank you. You can't give me a ticket for honking a horn at a green light. Alright, so let me see your driver's license registration. Thank you, sir. Is all your information correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Alright, sir, I'll be right back with you. Sit tight. Please help me. You can't give me a ticket for honking the horn at a green light. Sir. She should have gone. It was sir, green. Sir, get back in the car and calm down for a second, okay? I'm not going to give you a ticket, but the reason I stopped you is for acting like such a fool, okay? I don't know why you're acting like that, because I saw all those stickers on the back of your car. You don't need to be acting like that. They're crossing your window. I thought, I thought maybe you stole this car. So I was just checking out your information when it's back good. You're not getting a ticket this time, but if you would, just calm down for me. Drive safe. Is what? You can have all the stuff. 
stickers in the world, but if you don't practice what they say, you're a hypocrite. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning, and what a pleasure it is to be back in your midst again. This is getting to be a habit. <laughs> a good habit, though, right? It's fun to be with you folks. And uh, those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Ross, and I'm from Lloydminster, and I travel around a little bit, helping pastors out when they're away, uh, filling in the pulpits, etc. So that's a real joy for me. I get to see many different congregations and uh, experience that. The video that we looked at just now really highlights kind of the theme of where I want to go today. And I want to talk about something that's a harsh word for us to hear. And that's this word hypocrite. Hypocrisy is rampant in the world that we live in today. And this message today comes out of several conversations I've had over the last few weeks with people regarding faith and life and living in the world and trying to practice our faith. And, and hypocrisy is something that continually comes up. What exactly is a hypocrite? Well, the Bible defines a hypocrite as someone who is an actor. It's like they're in a play. They're a stage. They're on a stage and they're playing this certain uh, persona uh, in, in their life. It's called a pretender where a person claims to be something that they really are not. So the title of the message this morning is, I think it's on there, yeah, what the, what the world needs now is, what was the first thought that came to your mind? Love. I want to tell you what the world needs now, more than anything else in the time that we live in, is authentic people. That's kind of what I want to talk about today, is authenticity. Now, <clears throat> that's a sensitive point, because none of us here today would want someone to say, yeah, they're a hypocrite. It's a word that just kind of grills at us, and we don't want anyone to say that about us. But I think it's important for us every once in a while, just as I do in my own life, slow down, take a look at your life, examine yourself, and see what's going on in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 to 2, he said, Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wait a minute. Then Jesus said in another passage, further down, he said, By their fruit you will recognize them. So we have a conflict going on here. Jesus said, Don't judge or you'll be judged. And then he says, Judge. What's he talking about? Well, it boils down to heart versus walk. You know, I cannot judge your motivation. That's between you and God. But what Jesus teaches us is I can look at your fruit, and I can judge your fruit. I can judge by what I see, but not the heart. In Luke chapter 6, verse 42 and 43, he says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take that plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. So he's saying, don't judge the motives of our heart. We've got to stay out of that realm. But he does say that we can judge because in Matthew 7, 15 to 20, he says you'll know them by their fruits. When Jesus began to call people to himself, he was calling people to be serious. If you remember the story of when Jesus was walking along and he saw the people in the Sea of Galilee and he said, come, follow me. That was a call to discipleship. It was a call to surrender. It was, a, it, was a, it was just come follow me. There was no papers to sign. There was no, no creed to sign or anything like that. It was just come follow me. And continually throughout the scriptures we find Jesus calling the Pharisees, uh, religious leaders to accountability. Continually challenging their hypocritical approach to religion. In fact, all throughout Jesus' ministry he calls his followers count the cost. And that's the word discipleship that we don't hear very much of in days gone by. The word discipleship. We are called to be disciples. Did you notice in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus said, go into all the world and what? And what? And what? There's more. Wait, there's more. 
and make disciples of all the nations. Our key mandate is make disciples, win the lost and make disciples. But, you know, discipleship, when we really look at the scriptures, discipleship is a tough thing. It, it's a cost that we bring when we come to Christ. And in, in Jesus modeled this to us in, in John 17, 1. He looked towards heaven and he said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that I may glorify you. Matthew 28, he says, 26, 39, he says that he, it says that he fell on his face to the ground and he says, oh God, if it's possible, take this away from me. So on the one hand, he was totally committed. On the other hand, he knew what he had to go through. And he was saying, if it's possible, dear God, take it away. But he knew it wasn't possible because his obedience called him to die on the cross. And he was obedient to the cross. And that's what he says to us. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So taking up a cross and following Jesus are linked together. What does it mean to take up a cross? Well, that's between you and God, where he calls you into your discipleship, where he calls you to reject certain things and to bring certain things into your life. Take up your cross and follow me. He says in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is pretty strong teaching. Even strong teaching for those in Jesus' day, because they loved to be with him. They loved to see the miracles that he was performing. They loved the loaves and the fishes experiences. But when Jesus started to discuss true spirituality, discipleship in the kingdom, they abandoned him. Scriptures say, John 6.60, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then in 666, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The call to discipleship is a tough thing. The surprising thing here to me is that Jesus didn't go running back to try and convince them to come back. He focused on those that wanted to come and wanted to stay and wanted to do what he was calling them to do. And if we're going to be fit for service in this kingdom that we're called to, we have to come grip to grips with this word hypocrisy. Following Christ means doing the opposite of what a hypocrite would do. A hypocrite, for whatever reason, is trying to act out an impossible lifestyle. I see it all the time. Believers who are trying to say this, but living this, and they're caught in the middle. When I was an auxiliary member with the RCMP, I remember one night we got called to a, a, a big, big bash at one of the local establishments in Lloydminster. Hundreds of people outside, there were fights and going and so on and so on and so on. And as an auxiliary member, I was asked if I would stay and watch the cars because people would jump on top of the cars and try and smash the tops of the lights and so on and so on. So as I was standing there, people beside me, I heard this girl starting to cry. Now keep in mind, I was also a pastor at this time. We're pastoring a church. And as I turned, her friend said to her, why are you crying? And she said, that's my pastor. So we had a new relationship begin in that moment of time. I knew exactly who she was. She knew who I was. And that changed our whole relationship. She got caught. She was trying to live this way and this way. And it wasn't working. That would be an example of a hypocrite. I'll tell you another war story. Picked a young fellow up one time and had to arrest him. And put him in the back of the car. And after he was in the back seat of the car, he realized who I was. Because he'd been sitting in my congregation for several Sundays. So when he was released and he came to church the following Sunday, he looked at me and he said, when are you going to start acting like a pastor instead of a cop? And God laid it on my heart to be really transparent with him. And I said, when are you going to start acting like a Christian? And we had a great relationship after that moment in time. Hypocrisy. You know, if you put uh, uh, some substance on money, and then you steal that money, they can track you because of the light that comes on and shows the, 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 um, the colors on the, on the money. Or if you go and have your you know, veins injected with, with a, 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 
uh, a substance so they can see what's going on. That's like hypocrisy. Eventually, you'll be able to see. Eventually, it'll become transparent. And I'm so glad that my father, when I gave my life to Christ at 19 through Gideon's Bible, he was so shocked, but he did say to me, I don't understand what you're going through. I don't necessarily agree with it. But please, don't be a hypocrite. Great news, my dad was wise. Well, how do we avoid being a hypocrite? I know we don't like to think about this, but sometimes we are hypocrites. And we have to trust that God by his Holy Spirit will reveal in our hearts when we are hypocrites. I believe it all boils down to one simple yet profound truth, and that is we need to surrender. We need to bend the knee to Christ and be his disciples. Let's go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll read it again. Honestly, I forget which translation I'm reading from. I didn't write it down. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of service. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. From this passage today, we'll see three things. I call them acts. Things that we need to do. We need to have an act of dedication, an act of renunciation, and an act of transformation. And this comes right out of this text. Let's look at the first one, an act of dedication. In verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you. Therefore I urge you. The word that is used here is a very interesting word. It's a word that's made up of two Greek words. Comfort, exhort, and to come up beside someone, to come alongside of someone. So what's happening here when he says, I urge you or I beseech you, it's like he's coming beside you, he's standing right beside you, he's looking at you in the eye, and he says with all the longing of his heart, I want you to, I desire you to, I long for you to whatever, whatever, whatever. It's a begging, it's an entreating, it's an instructing. Have you ever heard of D.L. Moody? He was a great preacher of old. When he was preaching, he would actually come off the pulpit and go down, like, say, for example, with Chris, and he would stand right in front of Chris, look at him nose to nose, and say something to him from the sermon. Something like, and he wants you! You know, that was very dramatic. And people would be scared out of their seats because he would come right down to you. I had an experience like that one time. I was at a conference, and uh, a Christian conference, and the uh, speaker uh, asked if he could just walk around and pray for us as a group of therapists. And I said, sure, go, go for it, right? He's walking around, and he's praying, and he's just saying things that come to his heart, came to his heart and mind, and he stopped right at me. And he looked at me, and I thought, oh, oh, this could be bad. What did I do this week? <laughs> and he said he wants to do more. He wants to do more. He wants to do more. And then he left. And that was four years ago. And I'm still struggling with that. What does that mean, God? You want to do more. It's just like Paul is so passionate about what he's trying to say to us here. He wants us to come to this place as an act of dedication. A dedication of our whole selves to the will and the way of God. And notice again in verse 1 he says, By the mercies of God, or in, God's, in view of God's mercy. What's mercy? It's compassion. So he's coming right up beside us, and he's saying to us with a longing heart, out of mercy and concern and compassion for us, from the very depths of his heart, I want you to do this. I want to see an act of dedication. That's my longing for you. And in verse 1 he says, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm so glad he didn't say a dead sacrifice. But a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. And then listen to these powerful words. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Thank you for the worship this morning so far, team. It was wonderful. But here's a greater principle for us. A spiritual act of worship is also the dedication of my body to Christ. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable thing to ask. It's a ministry to God. To be a disciple of Christ, we have to be dedicated to Christ. It means commitment, it means passion, to follow His will and His way, a total abandonment to the will and the way of God. I like what the um, Phillips translation says. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Isn't that good? You know, every day we're listening to voices. What kind of voices? Well, the voices of society. You know, they're, they're scrambling, trying to teach us things from a societal point of view. Voices from friends, voices from parents, voices from pastors, voices from this, voices from that, voices from that. How do we ever know which voices to follow? Well, you've got to get into the Word and have a total abandonment to the will and way of God, and He will speak to you. I remember having an old German fellow in one of the lodges that I used to preach in, in Fort Capel, and he always loved us to sing a hymn, What a Friend I Have in Jesus, and then he would tell us this story over and over again. When I bended the knee to Jesus, he said. When I bended the knee. That's what it's all about. So if I was to do that, how would I do that? Well, here would be kind of a suggestive type of a prayer that would tell you how I dedicate myself. All that I am, I have, I wish to be, my emotions, my intellect, my will, my life, I give to you, Jesus. I die to my own desires, my own passions, my own will, and I pray that you will live your desires, your passions, and your will in me. I consider my old self, my sinful nature, to be crucified with Christ, to be dead. I consider his life to take the place of my old passions and desires. I present myself as a living sacrifice to God. I die to myself so that you will live your life out through me. That would be a great way to do an act of dedication. Simply put, it's saying, Jesus, all that I am, all I wish to be, all that I can be, I surrender to you. And I invite you to take my life. And I invite you to use me in whatever way you want to use me. That's called sanctification. Because what sanctification is a big word, but it just means set apart for a holy purpose. You know, if I took this guitar, I think it's down here, isn't it? Yeah, if I took that guitar and there was a couple of nails on the stage and began to pound the nails in with the guitar, would that seem reasonable? No, because the guitar wasn't created for nail pounding. It was created for music. You weren't created for such and such. You were created for this. To follow God, to obey Him, be a disciple. The second thing we want to see from the text today is not only an act of dedication, but an act of renunciation. Big words, but powerful meanings. Verse 2, he says this, Don't be conformed, or do not be conformed any longer, to what? To the pattern of the world. To this world. I like this better. The pattern of the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed. Don't fashion yourself in mind and character according to what society is telling us. Because we're different. We're king's kids. We're, we're living in, in God's kingdom on earth right now. And yet God's kingdom is yet to come. I remember um, years ago a friend of mine from Saskatoon, I was living in Regina at the time, came to visit me. He was part of our college and career group where I came to Christ and was discipled. And he was very successful and he came to visit me with a Jaguar. Now I don't know about you car enthusiasts, but I was pretty excited to get into that car. And we drove around Regina for a while and I, you know, I remember it uh, sitting in the passenger seat coming up to a car, you know, just kind of looking over, hi, you know. It just felt really good, you know. I was in this Jaguar, very expensive car. Back then it was, what did he tell me? It was $100,000. That was 20 years ago. What would it be now? I don't know. But that really felt good, right? 
But then that good feeling started to disappear because this friend of mine and myself, we always had deep theological discussions. We always had deep talks about what was going on in our spiritual life, how we were growing and what God was doing. And the whole time I was with him in the Jaguar, it was all about the cars that he had. It was all about the job that he had. It was all about his success. It was all about his materialism. It was all about everything else but the thing that was so passionate to us years before. And my heart was grieved after that because I felt that he had fallen into the trap of letting the world squeeze him into its mold. Was there anything wrong with driving a Jaguar? Absolutely not. I wish I had one. And I drive around Lloydminster with a big grin on my face. But the focus can't be on what we have. The focus has to be on what he has given us. Theologically, we refer to the battle that goes on in our Christian life as the flesh versus the spirit. So when I came to Christ, I was set apart. I was made new from the inside out. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But I still have that old flesh nature that I battle. And we have verses like this. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't know what to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he lists what this could be. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and he says, but, and friends, whenever you see the word but there, you know something else is coming. But the opposite of that, the fruit of the Spirit, if you know it, say it with me, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the opposite to the things of the flesh. That's the things of the Spirit. And so in this act of transformation, we must dedicate ourselves to Christ in discipleship. We must renounce the things that lead us away from Christ. We must be transformed. Well, how are we transformed from this text? Act of dedication, act of renunciation, and finally, act of transformation. Verse 2. This is by far one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, I think. It says, be transformed. By what? By the renewing of the mind. See, there's a battle. The battle takes place in our mind many, many times. I see this in my counseling practice all the time. It's a lie that somebody is believing, and their whole life is being directed by the lie that they're believing. Did you know that this word, be transformed, is actually the word that we get our word metamorphosis from? That process where that ugly caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly? It's that process where we change from one thing to another thing, the metamorphosis. And that's what he's saying here. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The old things are gone. Stop going back there. The new things have come, and the new things are what really make life exciting. He says in verse 1, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? Yeah, that's right. The first place is the word, but also in how you think. That's a very powerful part. If you're thinking negative and if you're thinking um, destructive thoughts, you'll just live out that, right? So you fill your heart with the Word of God. Get the positive things in your mind that are true. And that's the renewing of the mind. You know, uh, we're told, Paul says, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we destroy every speculation and lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. That's in the mind. He says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. So listen, friends, here's the battle that Paul was experiencing in Romans. He was saying, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will ever set me free from this battle? And then he answers his own question. He says, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, who was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that I might live a new life. 
He says, what shall we say then? Are we to go on continue sinning so that grace might increase? This is in Romans 6. What was happening is, the Christians were asking him a question. They were saying, hey, if we sin, will God forgive us? What's the answer? Anybody know a verse that would back that up? First John 1 John 1.9 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, faithful and just is he to forgive us our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So he's saying, yes, if you sin, God will forgive you of your sin. But you know what they were doing? They would turn around then and go out and sin. Because they knew if they came back, God's mercy, they'd be forgiven. This is why this verse is so powerful. He says, what? What? Do you not know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and buried through his death, baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so you could be raised from the dead? Metaphorically speaking, in our mind? So he's saying that kind of logic is crazy logic. Our goal is not to go out and sin and get forgiven. Our goal is to stop sinning and be forgiven. Are you alive? Any amens? Yeah. So really what we're doing then in, in verse 2, he says, Then you will test and approve what God's will is for you. Friends, how can we really understand God's will if we're living in something that's displeasing to him? How can we live in, and, and understand his will if we're living a life of hypocrisy? My kids used to always say, Dad, is this a true statement that... We can't be standing on a fence because we'll either fall this way or that way. And, and sin is on this side and your, God's grace is on this side. I said, that's absolutely right. You can't be on a fence. You have to choose a side. In fact, the scriptures tell us, who will you serve? Well, verse 2 says, Then you will test the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. That word perfect means conclusion. You will see the end result of what God is asking you to do. So again, we come back to this prayer idea of praying. And I want to I read this prayer once. And then I'd like you to just very quietly join with me a second time through and pray it as your prayer. And then we'll read that quote that I read before, again of dedication. And I'd like you to make it your dedication today as we close. Oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness. Quiet my fretfulness. Curb my aimlessness. Relieve my compulsiveness. Let me be easy for a moment. Oh Lord, Release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. Oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Let's make that our prayer today as we come to the end of our service. Close your eyes if you wish, but just make it personal prayer. Oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness. Quiet my fretfulness. Curb my aimlessness. Relieve my compulsiveness. Let me be easy. For a moment. O oh Lord, release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. O oh God, Gather me to be with you as you are with me. All that I am, I have. 
I wish to be, my emotions, my intellect, my will, my life, I give to you, Jesus. I die to my own desires, my own passions, and my own will. And I pray that you will live your desires, your passions, your will in me. I consider my old self, my sinful nature, to be crucified with Christ, to be dead. Hallelujah. I consider his life to take the place of my old passions and desires. I present myself a living sacrifice to God. I die to myself so that you will live your life out through me. Lead me now in this new and invigorating stance that I am taking. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so simple to understand and yet so difficult if we're walking in our own strength and our own flesh nature. We pray today, Holy Spirit, that you can continue to help us surrender, to bend the knee, to be dedicated, to renounce the things of the world, and to be transformed so that when the world looks upon us, they don't see hypocrites. They see people who are really desirous to live out their faith. God, grant us the power that we need through your Spirit to be examples of Christ in a world that's gone crazy. In Jesus' name, amen. If God laid in your heart today some things that are relating to your spiritual life, then I'd encourage you to share that with somebody. Tell somebody what God has spoken to your heart today, if he has. If not, continue to think about some of the things that we've talked about today. And let's see what God will do as we seek to follow him step by step, day by day, in discipleship. Amen? Amen.